At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Life is but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Interesting cue. Oh, thank you very much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Perhaps maybe a little uh, Hamlet? Oh, no, I know Hamlet. And what he might say with irony, I say with conviction. What a piece of work is man. How noble in reason, how infinite in faculty, in form, in moving, how express and admirable, in action, how like an angel, in apprehension, how like a god. Surely you don't see your species like that, do you? I see us one day becoming that, Q. Is it that which concerns you? Ah, yes. Ah, yes. How about some Star Trek inspiration? Since this episode will be preggers with inspiration. How about that eternal Gnostic dialectic between Q and Picard? Direct symbols of the Demiurge and the Anthropos. Of the mechanical and the creative. The soul who has chosen entertainment and the spirit that has embraced ecstasy. As Jason Louv said, the great choice in our era will be between entertainment and ecstasy. Between Q and Picard. What will you choose in this Gnostic dialectic? that has no bloody synthesis as much as you'd like to sell out in a Hegelian way. What will you choose? Why, oh why, didn't I take the blue pill? I'll let you decide at the end of this inspirational episode. Don't let your programming or those mind parasites win. Don't forget how beautiful you were before they made you forget. <laughs> we just had a near-life experience! Welcome to the desert of the real. Welcome to the machine, my son, and the means to escape it. Welcome to Aeon Gnostic Radio. We don't take prisoners, but liberate them. We are not the final authority on anything, but hope to be an endless possibility for everything. 
including you finding the mystery that works for you and only you. Divided we stand, together we rise. We run with those searching for the truth and avoid those who have found it. Or as Clement of Alexandria wrote, the Gnostic so addicted to truth as not to need to use an oath. And as always, we're writing our own gospels and living our own myths. What's the meaning of the universe? What's the meaning of a flea? The, uh, it's just there, that's it. And your own meaning is that you're there. Now we are so engaged in doing things to achieve purposes of outer value uh, that we forget that the inner value, the, the rapture that is associated with being alive is what it's all about. Thanks for being here, you Johnny Cash Bodhisattvas, you spiritual entrepreneurs, and you modern-day Tom Sawyers, your mind not for rent to any god or government. As always, I, your host, Miguel Connor, is honored to be your pompadus of Gnosis, and together we're the ones eternally walking away from Omelas. What is the world, then? An illusion. One which we can either submit to, as most do, or transcend. What is it to transcend? To recognize nothing is true and everything is permitted. I mentioned this was an inspirational show. Why is that? Because our astral guest is an inspiration. An up-and-coming and already there leading voice in the esoterica and the future of mysticism in the Black Iron Prison. That is artist and magician Alex Kazemi, who materializes at the Virtual Alexandria to discuss his new book, Pop Magic, A Simple Guide to Bending Your Reality. Is this all real? Or is it just happening inside my head? Of course it's happening inside your head, Harry. Why should that mean that it's not real? The caterpillar told Alice, You are a terribly real thing in a terribly fake world. And that, I believe, is why you are in so much pain. Alex's story is inspirational in part because he overcame so much pain at a very young age in a terribly fake world. And you can do the same in that pain. And like Alex, you can bend reality. You'll find ways in his fantastic story and a fantastic interview. Youth may be wasted on the young, but not magic. Clearly, fame isn't everything. As a bonus, since we could only do about an hour, as I had health and child commitments, we'll do a trimorphic paranoia, where my friend and often co-host Nate Miller, a.k.a. a cult fan, will provide commentary. And like Alex, he'll share what it is to be doing magic like a millennial Simon Magus in the 21st century without selling out to Yaldabaoth. Do you think God stays in heaven because 
he too lives in fear of what he's created here on Earth? Yes, very inspirational, I tell ya. But all Aeon Byte shows are inspirational. Even the dark ones, even the grim topics. In an upcoming interview, astral guest Beth Martins, also a magician of sorts and cancer survivor, tells us a very Gnostic truth. That is, when you face the horror of existence, it's not your innocence you lose, but it's your ignorance. Simple as that, and big difference. The horror has always been there, and it's coming for you. But your innocence is eternal and can only be hidden by the holograms of the Archons. Your innocence is part of your divine spark, part of your innate magical nature and Athena wonder. You will never lose your innocence, but it can be buried in the mud of entertainment and the dialectic of Q. You're innocent right now. The quest is to be liberated from the negative, which is really our own will to nothingness. And once having said yes to the instant, the affirmation is contagious. It bursts into a chain of affirmations that knows no limit. To say yes to one instant is to say yes to all of existence. Yes, it's all inspirational here at the Virtual Alexandria, at Aeon Bite, just as you are inspirational, so stop denying your potential. As Mark Twain allegedly said, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out. Back to Beth Martin's, her book on archetypes also quotes Rumi, who said, There is one thing in this world you must never forget to do. If you forget everything else and not this, there's nothing to worry about. But if you remember everything else and forget this, then you will have done nothing in your life. Do you know what the secret of life is? No, what? This. Your finger? One thing. Just one thing. You stick to that and everything else don't mean shit. That's great, but what's the one thing? That's what you gotta figure out. Don't know, but I have a feeling that one thing has to do with somehow inspiring others through your innate, innocent, and magical self. I hope I have inspired you as Alex inspired me, and many of you inspire me. Hell, I like you. You can come over to my house and fuck my sister. And what is magic? Anything that expands your consciousness beyond the boundaries of mundane reality. Anything that awakens you beyond your evolutionary programming of food, sex, and shelter which according to Donald Hoffman, robs us of so much truth that animals and children and mystics see around without a problem. 
and into creative realities that actualizes us to that place where the fallen angel meets the rising ape in that eternal ecstasy of wholeness. I am not a number. I am a free man. Doesn't matter if your magic is art, invention, explorative science, or ritual. From a Gnostic perspective, April DeConnick describes well what Gnostic ritual was about. Gnostic rites, whatever their form, were meant to be personally therapeutic, to awaken, purge, mature, and integrate the alienated human spirit, the real self, with its transcendent root. The goal was to heal the separation anxiety that had started it all. Usually, divinities from the transcendent world came to earth to assist and teach humans about their predicament and whatever rituals are needed to liberate the spirit. By the power of truth, I, while living, have conquered the universe. Personal motto? From Faust. That's about trying to cheat the devil, isn't it? You'll see this in our interview with Alex. You'll see more soon in a new creative reality. Find out that one thing you must never forget to do and why you were born. Maybe Aeon Bite is my one thing. The entire world, basically, has rejected everything I've offered beyond this venture. And all I have is here at the virtual Alexandria. In other words, I have eternity. I have a place the world forgot, but imagination forever remembers. And the best is yet to come, as with you. Let us do the interview with Alex Kazemi, and then, for AB Prime members and patrons, to Nate Miller, the occult fan. I can't live out my days as that person. Au contraire, he's the person you wanted to be. One who was less arrogant and undisciplined in his youth. The Jean-Luc Picard you wanted to be had quite a different career from the one you remember. That Picard never had a brush with death, never came face to face with his own mortality, never realized how fragile life is or how important each moment must be. So his life never came into focus. He drifted much of his career, never seizing the opportunities that presented themselves. He learned to play it safe. And he never, ever got noticed by anyone. You're right, Q. I would rather die as the man I was than live the life I just saw. That's the reason that we fascinate you so. Because our puny behavior shows you a glimmer of the one thing that evades your omnipotence. A moral center. And if so, I can think of no crueler irony than that you should destroy us, whose only crime is being too human. Jean-Luc. Sometimes I think the only reason I come here 
is to listen to these wonderful speeches of yours. This is the AM Byte interview, and with us we have the pleasure of being joined by Alex Kazemi to discuss his book, Pop Magic, A Simple Guide to Bending Your Reality. Thanks for being here, Alex. Really appreciate your coming on and really enjoyed your book. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. I really am excited about your show and the space that you're creating for the occult community. And I really love everything that you're doing. So it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. Truly appreciate your kind words and the pleasure is all ours. We're all doing our part to bring a little more light in this world. And with us, somebody who always brings a lot of light is the Moondog Vance. Thanks for being here too, Vance. My pleasure. This will be a refreshing change from the big band magic I've been doing lately. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Yeah, very refreshing. That's what I love about this book, as we were talking, Alex. It's very accessible. It's very with the times, but it's very practical, but it's also very poignant and uh, very inspirational at times. So great job. And in fact, I, I love how you start the book in a very Gnostic way. The book is dedicated to, quote, anyone who has ever felt like they don't belong in the world. And that's very Gnostic, but I was also thinking, do you feel that you belong? Or is maybe that's the wrong question, Alex? It's the wrong question to say, should I belong? Well, that's, you know, it's kind of interesting because people have been asking me about that quote. And they're like, you know, I don't really know people who actually feel that way. And I've asked my friends, like, have you ever felt that way? And they were like, no. And I was like, well, I thought this kind of feeling was universal because (laughs) I was going through through it. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. This is strange. I've always felt that way, Alex. (laughs) Yeah. Well, but that's, but this is what's great is, is that, you know, maybe the people who are drawn to the occult are people who want a place to belong and and there's some there are answers that are being created when you engage with this information and there's this powerful level of self-discovery and belongingness and i feel like um i before i i did i kind of i have felt like that a lot in my life and i think some days i still do but i remember that there are so many spirits and angels and gods and goddesses watching over me and with me in the upper worlds that I have that kind of like that place I can go to, 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 to remember that there is a place that I belong. Well said. And you would say, do you feel the universe is overall a benign place? Again, starting off with the Gnostic vibe, just to get it out of the way for our audience. Oh, for sure. I think the material world and the, this is a, we're in a Malkuth lower world and, and there is, you know, a, a complete innate desire to escape it and go higher and go to the upper worlds. And there is a benign banality to the simulation life and everyday life and the mundanity. And, and you have to use your free will to create that magical consciousness and access those magical parts of you to make life feel more magical. And, and, you know, the Gnostics would say that the material world is, is kind of suffering, you know, and I think to escape that is through magic is is to the the substitute you can create for that um vapidity and the emptiness of the material world is with magic and and building a relationship with the upper worlds 
Yeah, well said. I think people mischaracterize the ancient Gnostics. They were not about escaping, but about an alchemical transformation. That's why they are known to be behind the ideas of alchemy. And in your book, you actually call the world the simulation, right? Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> I think I think society right now is either the simulation or the matrix. There's a bunch of coexisting lower world realities that people are plugging into, like a VR headset. And then there's also the lower reality of your ego. There's so much mental throne, so much ego, so much over-identification with the self. And I think a way to escape that is through alchemy and, and magic. And I'm really excited that you you recognize all the alchemical knowledge in the book because lots of people haven't. So that's really cool. Right, yeah, it's all over. So that's why one of the reasons, yeah, your book is, it was a, it was an experience. I can feel the alchemy within me, which is great about books today and how we are. But that's what's interesting too. I wanted to ask you, uh, your book is a journey about you finding yourself, as Carl Jung, uh, the great honors to find our authentic self, and it's it's a powerful yes. journey how you did years ago. But then I'm thinking, I'm saying, my God. Alex, he is immersed in the entertainment, music, Hollywood world. Oh, no. He's fought so yeah. hard. I'm like, how does he do it not to lose his authentic self again in a world that will rob your, for, for lack of better words, your soul again? How do you keep it? Well, you know, it's very interesting because I, I think, you know, s selling your soul and that kind of language is about actually the over-identification with the ego or the avatar or the illusion of, of the self. And I think it's a day-to-day -day thing where I have to practice not identifying with everything that is happening, because when you start to do that, you start to go crazy. And you see the people in this industry, celebrities, you know, famous people, all these people who are surrounded by spectacle, spectacle. And um, I think... I see that they're just plugged into the ego and, you know, that template of being plugged into the ego, no one is immune to it. It's always going to be an illusion. It's always going to be a video game. It's always going to be a mental throne. It's never going to, and it's never going to benefit you in a positive way if there's too much ego. Yeah, I would say so too, but again, it must be hard in your book. You admit that you were addicted to attention and I think we yes. all are. We all like, like shares myself. I look at how many people listen to my podcast every week, even though I want to help yeah. people wait, but you know what I mean? It's my, it's everybody's nature. So how, how do you fight that addiction to attention that uh, pretty much everybody has? Well, I get it from the upper worlds. I, 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 I visualize me getting that attention from and building that secure attachment with an entity or a god or a goddess or an angel. And I, and I visualize getting that uh, attention and my brain can't tell the difference. So, and I find that when I, when I seek it from the upper worlds, it's so much more of a fulfilling kind of attention. But in the lower worlds, it's always going to be kind of, a high and a low, a high and a low. And I think, you know, obviously I'm, I'm curious and I, and I care, but I find that it's just, when I do do what you're saying, I, I find that it's just kind of like clutter for my brain. Like it gets me away from the creative process. It gets me away from my, my true values. And I lose that sense of alignment of being like, 
okay, why are we doing this? We're, we're doing this to share light and to help others. And if you're thinking too much of statistics, sales, you know, views, play count, comments, you're going to lose, you're, you're kind of engaging with like a, a lower world, like a new kind of sufferer, you know? Oh, yeah. I love the Kabbalistic uh, imagery. And even like in your book, you're talking about, okay, I have two choices. I can spend half of the afternoon on Instagram looking at beautiful people, or I can go create a beautiful work of art. So that's the fine line, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, well, exactly. But I find that um, there's such an encouragement to be on Instagram, to be, do the Netflix binge, to do all of this stuff where we, we're kind of, you know, constantly needing to dodge the influences of other people who are kind of getting us off of our path. And I think, um, I think people with that energy that you spend, you know, on a screen and, and, you know, it, it starts to control you rather than you controlling it. And I think that is, as a magical practitioner, I want as much free will and control over my mind and reality in itself. So you are a proponent of free will. You think we do have a free will. We're not slave to the stars and so forth. No, no, no. We're, 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 we have free will and, and divine and, and divine will. I think there's astrological weather, astrological components um, that make up our soul's DNA Kabbalistically. But I think, uh, and I believe in our soul's corrections are in our astrological chart. And I think there's a lot of information. And whether it's just psychology or paranormal or metaphysical, it kind of doesn't matter because if you are taking that positive step to notice the negative attributes, of yourself and you want to alchemize them and go from lead to gold and be like, oh, well, my cancer neediness can be transmuted into cancer creativity. I mean, Carl Jung would say, you know, language is just a way to organize chaos and, and a way to, to, to create something where you have that better self-understanding of yourself. And language is so powerful in that way. So it doesn't kind of matter if, you know, astrology is real or not. It, it matters that the the way of using that template in, with the intention to fix or change or acknowledge certain attributes of yourself is being done, and that process is happening. Well said indeed. Well, let's back up and talk about uh, in the beginning or about your book. How, Alex, did you come about Pop Magic, which happened, what, about five years ago? Um, with the book title? Or the, how did you discover the art of Pop Magic? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. It happened five years ago. Um, well, a spirit came to me on my 21st birthday, and I was in a very nihilistic, apathetic, uh, materialist place. And I actually was very cynical of spirituality, cynical of positive thinking. I was, you know, very anti-everything, which most, you know, late teenagers can be, you know. Um, but I had kind of been like at a rock bottom point, and I kind of reached out to the universe and was like, okay, you know, if there's anything. And a spirit came to me and said, you know, research witchcraft, research magic. And when I encountered it, and I was like, wait, something is clicking. Like, this is what's missing. It felt like a reconciliation, a reconnection with myself and a, a reconnection with, with a part of me that 
maybe was stolen from me and I had to go search for it, but I found it again. And, and I just was, just became obsessed. Like I just immersed myself in all of the occult literature, all, everything I could find, watch every video, buy every DVD off eBay from Disinfo, like everything that I could, could figure out on how I could, you know, consume this information. And, and I just, I just really one day believed that, I could also one day write a book like this. And, and, and a spirit came to me about four years ago and was like, you know, you will like in the early next decade. And I didn't believe it. And everything the spirit told me had actually ended up happening. So it's really weird. That's awesome. And would you say that you were always a spiritual sensitive person or who had open channels of communication with other worlds? Because some people might think, well, is this accessible to all if we seek or do you have to be born sensitive to these energies? How was your childhood? Um, I was very I was very emotional and very sensitive, but I was also persecuted for being sensitive and being emotional. So there was this internal war of feeling like frustrated, like, oh, I want to feel so much more. I like feeling, but then people would tell me, no, don't do that. And so that created kind of an internal chaos. So maybe that's how my spirituality got lost. But yes, I was always an open, receptive. Um, if you look back at the kind of things that I was interested in my childhood, they're very dreamy and magic-like. And I, that's what I mean, that it feels like a reconciliation. No, that makes sense. And so how would you define pop magic? Of course, I've, I've written so many notes in your book and on paper. And uh, let me see if this is the right one. The science, art, and practice of bending reality in accordance with your true will. Science, art, go. and practice of accessing your divine will to bring order to chaos. Is that it? Yeah, yeah, that's how I would define magic. And, uh, you know, it was very freeing to write that down because I was very frustrated in um, reading a lot of magic books at how overcomplicated and bloated a lot of the information was. And, and, and just there's just so much to decipher. It's like hieroglyphics almost. And that's fine. I understand that part of magic and reading occult literature is very invigorating and exciting. And I, I totally... Uh, I totally love that, but I wanted to kind of say these, this stuff in a very accessible way of the two definitions that I felt encapsulated what magic is. And one, I guess, definition that probably should be addressed because it's still so misunderstood. What do you mean by will or divine will, Alex? Um, I mean... By, by divine will and free will, I mean that it's about a choice and, and, and your choice to react to certain things, um, your choice to will things into existence, your free will to think a thought, to manifest a vision. It all comes from your ability to think something. If I want to think orange right now, I just thought orange. I had that power, you know, to do that. If I want to think I'm going to go to 7-Eleven, and go buy, you know, a bottle of Pepsi, I can go do that, you know, but you can do that with your dreams and your visions and how you, you can be the change you want to see in the world and see that reflected in yourself and the universe. Alex, Vance here. How would you say pop magic is distinguishes itself from other forms of magic you've seen? Um, well, I think, you know, Matt, this is kind of the stripped to the core, stripped to the bone 
what magic is. You know, if even you don't believe in magic, if you're reading a bu- uh, this book, you'll find out what people who are doing Satanism or La Santeria or Hoodoo or any of that kind of stuff or different variations of magic, it all goes back to these core um, practices of, you know, visualization. And that's why I say in the book, like, uh, this is no different than what you learn on Oprah or from New Age books, as much as disappointing that is. There's a huge uh, overlap between occult, self-help, and magic. I mean, you can create your own forms of magic. You can create a whole new form of magical religion with energy and, and these ingredients of alchemy and visualization and all this kind of stuff. And I would encourage people you to use this book to create their own spiritual system and their own values and, you know, not dogma, but a way to have that order to chaos. So it's like a toolkit, a way uh, that, that you've presented it to people that makes it easier for them to create such magic. Exactly. It's like a treasure chest. It's like a treasure chest of tools to be like, no, no, no. Maybe I don't identify with what I read in that weird magic book I bought or what I read on Reddit or what I saw on YouTube. Maybe I can create my own form of magic, my own idea of magic and, and, and my own system that I identify with, that is, I'm connected with my own spiritual practice because, you know, so many people associate spirituality with dogma and and Christianity, which I have no problem with, but, you know, magic is a spiritual system that is non-dogmatic and non-discriminatory. Who would you say, uh, do you have any inspirations or figures in history that maybe informed you and guided you beyond the spirits? Um, I think I really have a huge appreciation for Richard Metzger on what he did with this information. Um, and how, and Douglas Rushkoff and that kind of late nineties, um, occult, uh, explosion that kind of happened in the underground scene. I, I'm very well versed in that. And I found that, you know, that type of language in the way that that those books were written really stuck with me. And I kind of, you know, wanted to create an extension of that aesthetic and that template for a new generation. So you would say, um, would you agree with, let, let's say, Alan Moore, that really art is a form of magic? Yes, I love Alan Moore, by the way. He's oh, yeah. so cool. <laughs> but yeah, how he talks about writing is a form of magic. It's all consciousness changing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, hyper sigils exist. You can write things into existence. You can, you can, you can, your reality could mirror what you're writing. I mean, Grant Morrison would write his comic books and, and mirror those realities in the characters. And he was just so focused on that story and that world and that energy that reality literally bended to his, you know, I may be conscious or unconscious. will. and I've seen that in my own life. Like I've seen synchronicities happen when I start to write more fiction work and my reality will just completely bend towards what will feed me that energy. It's very bizarre. It's very bizarre. I think creating art is essentially magic. And Marilyn Manson would say music is the strongest form of magic. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I've written novels, I've written stories and I'm amazed how they come true in my life. Like, you know, you were just saying Grant Morrison 
what happened to King Mob happened to him later on in life. So the lines are being blurred, aren't they? If you if we just look, if we wake up, which I think is what spirituality is, waking up to reality. Exactly. And I think waking up to those consciousness and, and waking up to those, that information, there's so much valuable information and data everywhere, whether it's, you know, in the moon transits or in, in the synchronicities or the angels sending you messages, you have to wake up to it. And it's very bizarre. I think of life before having this magical consciousness. I, and I'm like, what was that? It was like, I was like walking a like zombie, like a zombie, like I was sleepwalking, like, I was not attuned to all this stuff. And, you know, I always go into a, a metaphysical store and talk about this type of, you know, mentality with people. And they say, you know, you can't go back asleep once you've woken up. Like, you're, you're open now. You know, that's, this is the past of, 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 you can't unlearn this knowledge. You just can't. It's almost like it's in your soul. It's embedded now. Yeah, you can't take the blue pill like Cypher. I guess you could. <laughs> yeah, no, no. no. I, I mean, I couldn't imagine life without magic. I mean, I'm such an advocate for such a a real Herculean magic where you survive the labors, you survive the trials, and you transform. And I, and I have such a desire to be an advocate for that because there's so many people where when tragedy happens – they don't show up for the magic and they don't show up for that opportunity to transform or to alchemize. And that's kind of uh, the ultimate blessing is those trials and tests. How about when people say, well, what about using magic for selfish reasons, for only material reasons? I guess my stance would be like what Carl Jung would say, that a something that makes you conscious and more connected to the world, you will organically just do it naturally for the good of others and for the good of yourself. But what is your stance with people using magic just for material needs? Or what has your journey taught you about these things? Well, I have done magic for selfish reasons and and material things. And it, it felt very, um, it threw me into more illusion, more disconnection and, and dark and, and a bit of darkness, but um, I could attain these things through magic and I was getting them. And, you know, it's almost like just, you know, something wasn't landing into the soul, the result, like I would do the visualizations on the full moons and then I would do the work and then I would get the things and I'd be like, huh, like this is strange. And what I realized um, through Kabbalah is that, you know, the things that I really what I, my soul truly desires is sharing and helping others and, and giving. And, and that's, that's what lands into the soul. You can attain your material things, but, you know, if you are doing what you're doing to help others, to, to create a change, you know, there, there's something so much more fulfilling about that. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's psychology. I don't know if it's, you know, I mean, in recovery, there's so much literature about, you know, uh, doing charity and, and helping others, but there's something that's really powerful about that. Oh, agreed. It's certainly very fulfilling, and in a way, it's very empowering. So, But um, the next question I want to ask you, we're talking, your book, uh, I really, one of the many things I love it is how you deal with life today in social media and the chaotic digital worlds that we're all immersed in. Yeah. Obviously, that's, that's something my favorite that... Part. 
Yeah, yeah. A lot of uh, a lot of older guests that I've interviewed don't deal with it, but of course we know that there is sort of you might say magic being performed on the internet. On on the right, you've got Keck and the Mean Magic. On the left, you have yep. like Michael Hughes and the witches trying to bind Trump. So, do you feel social media? is a platform to amplify magic or is it actually going to be a place where it is actually involved in magic and i hope this question makes sense it's a hard question no it does make sense it's really it's it's a beautiful question i think social media it's very difficult because here we are in this cultural climate where the people who are ostracized are finally allowed to be a part of society and have a voice and knowing that there's this level of demand to of Preparation of, well, I've been on the outside, but now I'm on Twitter. Now I have Instagram. Now you can see me. I want change. I want change. I want a bigger change. And, you know, that, that, that level of humanism is valid. You know, there are, you know, people's experiences on who are ostracized, you know, this visibility to be able to talk about this. I mean, the, the ability that Rose McGowan was able to have to, to create the campaign that she did and, and to, to bring awareness about, you know, Harvey Weinstein and all this kind of stuff. Like, th- this level of, of media is powerful, and there is a form of magic on it. I think it's hard for me to distinguish. I mean, it's hard for me to kind of say if it's negative or not. I think... I think that there's a lot of negative influences on there and a lot of there's a lot of energy and there's a lot of emotion and you can get a lot of stuff stuck on you and you can get, you can kind of, you know, someone could be tweeting something and then your whole emotional system could be hijacked and then you could respond to that and, and you're just like in this VR headset reality where you're getting angry and you're releasing all this emotion, but it's, it's not really solving anything and i think real magic solves things and and magic creates results so um you're exactly right don't you see this kind of next election as like a magical war oh yeah definitely for sure and again like you said it's you just have to learn how to navigate these energies as you write these things same with the gods and the spirits as they were for thousands of years they're neither good nor bad there's low and high and how you're gonna deal with them right yeah, yeah, exactly. Low and high. And, and, um, I think also social media is sort of, um, it, it's, it makes people kind of just so over identified with an illusion and they don't, there's, there's, they're almost like, like kind of talking to themselves in like an echo chamber. You know, it's like, it's, I don't know if it's always productive. I think, I think a lot of it is very narcissistic and it's about look at me, look at me, look at me. And I think um, to make your emotions public like that sometimes and to say, look at me, look at me, Camille Paglia would say that's kind of very infantile and, and, and sort of, you know, not, it's a bit backwards to, you know, be tweeting like rageful things during, you know, about Bernie or whatever's going on in politics. You know, it's like there's something productive about releasing emotion in private. Oh, well said and agreed. And yes, Rose McGowan and uh, Camille Pag, they're two women who I admire, who I love what they're doing. They got, they got the power going both in the, the brains and their hearts. But, uh, and also, I mean, but I'm sure out there, there are people who are creating egregores and there are, you talk about narcissism. Some people just love to drain the power. Somebody like Trump, the more attention you give him, the more powerful he is. 
Exactly. And I, you know, I, I was someone who, who used to also enjoy all forms of attention, even negative attention. And I kind of look back at that kind of realizing, you know, negative, negative attention, the, the desire to, to attain negative attention is, is just food for the ego. It's not a positive, fulfilling thing for your spiritual path. It's not anything that has much knowledge in it. Maybe the only knowledge in it is that the fact that you can um, notice that you, you enjoy all forms of attention, even negative attention. I think, I think Trump is exactly what you said. I mean, even celebrities, pop stars, you know, that you, you, you talk about them in a negative way and, and they become more powerful. And I, and I think he's so much of like a chaotic, uh, dark magic energy, like a low, a low, low, low vibrational person. Yeah, and sometimes people are doing magic without knowing it. So that's the world we in. Oh, now. they all are. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I believe the, I agree with you on that. Yeah, the social media is full of power and consciousness and energy you could siphon or use it. So it's a good thing we've got people like you because I think these are important warnings for people using magic for the future, for those who feel they don't belong and everything. I'm glad you're at the forefront of this, Alex, and I hope you, you definitely keep it up and another thing i admire about your views alex is you're very poignant and honest about your uh, ideas on porn masturbation and dating apps yeah i know it sounds sure. strange what i said but i think it's important in a world where young men are not being initiated but they're sort of sent into a state of constant immediate gratification so tell us how to navigate these ideas in a world where again people aren't being initiated either magically as men or even as women that's so interesting because I almost was thinking about you know the alt right and and these young men who have like formed wolf packs o online and you know incels and all this kind of stuff of, of of needing that male camaraderie and needing that connection and and how you said the language of of initiated it, it's so interesting you know there there might be something about male energy or masculine energy that desires a sense of initiation and 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 um you know maybe that's why frat parties and, 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 you know, all those rituals are so ritualistic and you kind of think of, of, of how our culture and male culture exists. It, it, it's very interesting to think of that from a primal animalistic point of view. And, 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 uh, I would say that there's a lot of negative, uh, influences, uh, for young men to navigate today. And I think, uh, don't, don't drink the Kool-Aid, you know, question, question everything, you know, and question, um, the the amount of consumption and also the it's I don't think it's a positive thing at all. I mean, I think it can be really difficult, and I think sex sex energy is so powerful. And if you can learn how to direct that and transmute it and alchemize it, I mean, no one teaches you that in school. You're not learning that from rappers in their songs. You know, I, I think uh, I think there needs to be a level of of dialogue about alchemy, especially with young men who are struggling. Oh, agreed. And you give instructions, for example, you say, if you have the urge to masturbate, and thank God I'm not a young guy anymore, because with Tinder <laughs> and free porn and all that, you know, too much yeah, temptation. Yeah. I like to... In my when I was young, when you actually had to go and talk to women in real life and, and all that, yeah. but you say... No, instead of wanting to uh, masturbate, uh, focus your energy on something else. Transmute it and create something better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you have to, like you said, it's 
endless. It's, it's almost programmed to make you addicted because, you know, in 1999, you could turn off MTV. You could, you know, close a magazine. A book is over. Now there's this endless amount of information and, and stimulation and pleasure that the brain just wants constantly and constantly and craves it. And it's just an endless feed of, you know, you know, people can spend hours or, or on Pornhub and, and not even know it or care about it or even think that it's wrong because men are programmed for that entitlement to be able to do that. That's just a part of being a guy. That's just male culture. But you see in, in relationships and, you know, there's so much of, there's like so much issues amongst young men today where they have such high standards from pornography that they can't even really connect to a real woman. Oh, agreed a hundred percent. So it's something we need to work on, but, and, um, I guess going back to just magic in general, and again, you address this in your book, Pop Magic, but the million-dollar question would be is, Alex, how do you know when magic works? And I like how you write, it works when you let go of <laughs> that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you study like all of the, uh, you know, nature of vibration and detachment and all that kind of stuff, but as soon as I forget or I let go emotionally, for some reason, the ritual happens. I mean, that was my favorite chapter to write, actually, one of them. You Are the Illuminati, and that one was one of my favorite chapters to write because I was reading all these magic books, and no one was talking about the this experience of how they how these spells happen. And, and, and I was very like, okay, well, I have my data. I have my magical data. I want to say something. And I think um, what I would say about it is, is that it, 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 it's all theory, you know, you know, you know, it's happening when you get your result, but you know, we don't know if it's because you did a spell and you mesmerized your mind and your subconscious mind and you just became more alert um, to be more focused and have more uh, focus on your goals and your will to create that because you did your spell or because entities created trials for you to survive and in the upper worlds and then you got to your end result. Um, it's it's sort of I mean what would you say like like from practice practicing magic like what would you say is how do you think it manifests? Oh well, there's so many levels. I mean, uh, I've done ceremonial magic. I, as we were talking before, I did a little sigil magic from your book, and uh, I think I agree with Gordon White. It, it's about probabilities, and sometimes, as you said, there could be blowback. There is karmic forces that need to be evened out. So it's probabilities and it's practice. And at the end of the day, I try to do it mostly for uh, expanded consciousness myself. I, I rarely do it that much for, you know, material things, or I try to do thy will yeah. be done kind of thing. But uh, yeah, 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 that would that would be my, my view in what I've practiced. I mean, I think uh, we both agree awareness and meditation are key to make any magic work or to understand how it works right exactly and it was so it's so interesting you say that because people who have been reading the book have been like you know my mind is so distracted when i'm trying to visualize and i was like oh wow maybe i've had that ability to clear my mind because i've been practicing meditation for so many years and i 
I've been able to enter that state to when I do a spell, I can completely focus on the feeling, the image, the end result, and, and, and believing that it will manifest. And um, I think meditation is a huge key to magic and also surviving the current cultural chaos. I mean, if you view your thoughts as just speeding cars passing by, you can start to notice, you know, the more uncomfortable um, feelings like the desire to, you know, uh, click Twitter or click Instagram or all that stuff, you can just notice it just as like a color passing by or a feeling passing by. And that's all it is. You don't have to really like uh, identify it as, um, you know, something negative. You can just kind of like observe. And I think meditation helps magic because it's how you get focused. Exactly. And how you negotiate the shifting changes. Again, sometimes there's a little bit of blowback. Sometimes you need to see things that aren't there that are manifesting. And I think. Oh, yeah. And you have to grow. Oh, very much. You have much. to grow. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think magic, magic in its true core, which, you know, if someone was to read this book and to manifest their dream life for this book and kind of get to a point where, okay, well, I used pop magic. I got my material attainment. I, I used alchemy. I changed everything. I, I got my life. Well, why is it my soul particularly fulfilled? I would say the next level of that is Kabbalah and studying the Kabbalah and the Sephiroth and the tree of life and understanding how to do the corrections on all of your negative attributes and your automatic responses and, and, and correcting those, those things. And I, I think that's really important for people to have practiced magic to explore. I mean, if you feel called to Kabbalah, I think um, that is something that is very powerful or just, you know, the knowledge to, to recognize attributes of yourself to correct. I think, I think the true soul work that wants to be done sometimes happens in magic. It does come up, you know, with the probability that it might not work out. And I think when it doesn't work out, I've always gotten something so much better in the future, you know, and, that's what's so beautiful about paying attention to this pattern, these patterns and stitching of the universe. Oh, yeah, well said. And even even before you get to the, yes, I, I agree with you that Kabbalah is it's a wonderful, elegant system. It takes some work, but once you get into it, it's, it's rewarding and life-changing, and it's there for your life. But we can keep that even simple, as you write in your book, Alex, that there are two things that will help us crystallize our magical worldview. One of them is obviously visualization, and that's obviously an NLP and other things. That's just a common thing we should all do more. But the other thing mm -hmm. is positive thinking, and it, it really has helped your life. I think you write, when you were a teenager, a young teenager, you almost died, and positive thinking basically saved you, didn't it? Yeah, for for sure, and um, it was it was one of those points, right? When you're so young that you you you're not able to be conscious that you're doing something that, like you said, we're all doing magic. You know, I had to think of it in retrospective, but I did have so much optimism and hope and positivity, and I I believed in myself and all the pain from that time. I just was like, no, I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep going through it. I, I I'm going to keep doing it. You know, and I I just believed that I would get out of there and. I would get all of these like chemotherapy lines out of me and, and I would be free, you know, and, and be in the future here talking to you. You know, there was so much optimism and I think positive thinking is such a practical thing. I mean, you know, what are you going to, what is the antithesis to positive thinking? You're going to just be depressed and, and suffered and, and, yeah. <laughs> and upset and then not create solutions and not, you know, 
take that rock bottom and, and make it something angelic and, and transmute it and, and regenerate it. I think that's what's so important, you know, and I hope people can, can start to think of the, you know, people who've never thought of these things before. I hope these, this style of thinking can really be there for them. Like you said, like about Kabbalah and, you know, any type of spiritual tools, they're there for us. They're secure. Hey, Alex, uh, speaking of there for us, um, I was curious as to who your favorite friends are in the upper world. Uh, would we know them or recognize them by names or by characteristics? And I'd love to hear some of your experiences with those guys up there. Um, I, I, I work with um, a particular, like, uh, God. Um, I don't know if I want to say his name because I, I like I like uh, the kind of sacrilegious relationship with him, but obviously he's he's a, a, a powerful one, and and um, I, I've built a, a, a kind of family type connection with him, and um, there's this sense of you know what I love what I love about something I said in the book was I said that spirits. Um, an entity love to do drag, you know, they take on roles, you know, a spirit is like, you can call them on and, and you can read a spirit out of a book and maybe they'll match with your, I mean, uh, entity or a, a name of a god or a goddess. You can, um, maybe a spirit that, you know, vibrationally matches with that god or goddess will take that on. And, and whether it's like an immaterial essence and like an actual kind of, you know, angel, like, that is that transcends the human self or was a person who was once human and is now a spirit or is now a soul. You know, I think um, it's so uh, kind of difficult to kind of say, say that, but what I will say is that there's something powerful about that, that relationship and you can build your own angels and build your own gods. And I would, I would encourage you to do that and create them. Oh, that's a, that's a good answer. We always say, uh, write your own myth here on the end bite. Um, what about the celebrities that you've run to do any of them actually practice their own kind of magic? Do they have their own yes. friends up in the upper realms? Um, yes, for sure. Any, anybody you can share, uh, you know, any names you can share with us? Uh, uh, yeah. Know, yeah. I, I know Marilyn Manson practices magic. I mean, he was pretty open about it in the late, uh, maybe early to late nineties when he was, more immersed in occult imagery and, and, um, he built that relationship with LeVay and he talked in his book with Neil Strauss that he has done hexes and curses. But I think Matt Manson, um, wouldn't have come into power the way he did if he hadn't had done magic. And I don't know if he's worked with lower vibrational or I'm not going to say darker entities, but anytime I encounter him or talk to him, there's definitely a lot of paranormal activity and, and he's a haunted person in that way. And, and, um, I think when you engage with him, you start to engage with his entities and the people, the spirits around him, and it can be very chaotic. I think some of the more, um, I know Lana Del Rey does magic. She openly talks about it. She participated in the bind, um, against Trump that Michael Hughes or organized and she supported it publicly. Azalea Banks does magic. Um, I think some of the more, I know, I mean, obviously Madonna does magic. I mean, Kabbalah is magic and alchemy. And, um, and, uh, I think, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I would say those are the ones that I would identify. I mean, Aphex Twin, Grimes, uh, they all, they all do magic. Yeah. Thanks. 
Yeah, good to hear. No problem. And uh, on a shifting a bit, and this made me laugh, but uh, again, there's one section, um, you were talking about sigil magic, and you're talking yeah. about how you decided to do sigil magic, and you had a strange <laughs> point in your house, and you're, you're yeah. charging the thing, and you're thinking, oh my God, this is my life. I'm jerking off in my mother's basement to some magical symbol. This is the bottom of the pit. But it worked out for you, didn't it? Yeah, for sure. It was so crazy to think about that. Yeah, and and, and when I said, I bet Trent Reznor has done this a lot in his life. Um, I I I definitely I definitely definitely feel like you know, but but there was something integral about it. it. You know, I look back at it; it's like a bit of a coming of age story. You know, it's like it's like it's sort of perfectly imperfect. You know. It is. It's about probability and self-discovery because I think you have done rituals that have backfired, haven't they? I think you talk about uh, something with tap water and how that backfired. Well, yeah. Um, uh, there, there have been things that have backfired through magic. I mean, I've gotten uh, really sick from from doing magic with certain people. Um, I've done, I've gotten sick when I've had negative intentions and not known it. And I've had more destructive intentions and, um, magic has backfired. And, um, in my earlier days, demons would drag me around the house. I would get sleep paralysis all the time. Um, you know, someone who knows Kenneth Anger told me that that is kind of uh, what opening up yourself on the astral world is like, you know, you, the, everything comes in during that time. So I definitely had a lot to clear through and and um what i noticed about the demonic uh, you know lower entities is that they fed on my lower vibrational states and and they would come to me um there were really scary things like one time i was just like kind of awake and then i just kind of fell to the ground and like went into a state of sleep paralysis <laughs> it sounds fake but it, it did happen and um i an entity was like dragging me around and i heard their name and it was so bizarre <laughs> and then um yeah i think um I think definitely, yeah. And I guess this brings me to the next question, which is, of course, the danger of magic. For example, I stopped using ceremonial magic years ago because I realized that nothing is free in this universe. The gods, whatever you want to call them, they need a payment. They need attention. So, and there are some things like sigil magic where you're charging, as you talk about, with your sperm. And like the ancient Gnostics, you're sacrificing sort of the light within you to charge it. So how do you feel about magic? Is it it's not free or how do you uh, n navigate it where you don't owe some giant entity, a big chunk of your soul or life? Well, I think, I think what you can owe the upper world is your change. And that can be your transaction. And, and like from a Kabbalistic point of view, if you do that soul work and you do that clear, that, that, correction, you, you remove those negative attributes, there is going to be more space for the light to come in. So I think that is your work. Your work is, is doing that work on yourself, whether it's, you know, the one higher vibrational, um, the light, or, you know, a god or a goddess or an angel or a spirit or a lower vibrational entity, you know, you've there is something required, and you will see that test in your reality. The trial will come. You will see it, and you will have to transform. And that's why I use the metaphor of, of Hercules all, all the time, because that's kind of how I feel like my life has played out. 
Yeah, you also write that candle magic has changed your life. And I like how you you also mention, you know, if you've blown out a birthday cake, you have involved yourself in candle magic. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. No, of course. I mean, prayer is magic. And, and, you know, there's so many, like, societal, like, subconscious, like, we don't know, we're not, we're not, we don't think they're occult, they're occult practices, but they're birthday blowing out a birthday candle is a ritual and it's a um a powerful one and and people you know use that one time once a year to set out that intention and that wish and you know whoever hears it or whatever it have having it molded you know that definitely i mean candle magic changed my life yeah when i did the spell to meet manson with the black candle when i was 20 20 or 21 how did you do that? I mean, it seems a lot of these rituals are instinctual. Like, is it something comes over you and you said, I'm going to go for it. This is it. Um, well, I thought, you know, okay, if magic is real, because this is new, right, to me at the time, and I was like, if magic is real, right. who do I want in my life? Manson. That's the number one person who I've identified with in my childhood, who's kind of, you know, kind of I felt a secure relationship with like as with the idea of him as a teenager i would would watch interviews of him i felt a very patriarchal uh connection to him as a father figure type um mentor and all that kind of stuff and i was like okay if i wanted to materialize that and i wanted to manifest that i i'm going to take this into my own hands and i'm going to visualize him being in my life or helping me somehow and and in a business collaboration in a positive way that changes my life with his magic and my magic combined. And um, yeah, I did it. I just went for it. And then two weeks later, maybe it was the waxing moon, maybe near the full moon or new moon, something like that. It was around uh, before his birthday, uh, someone had sent me a text in LA and said, you're not going to believe this. I met Manson. I have his number. And I don't know what took over me, but I just changed in that moment. I was like, give me the number, you know, it was just like very (laughs) aggressive. And, um, I got the number and, uh, on his birthday, I texted him and, um, from there we worked on some stuff and successfully, and he totally helped me and changed my life to this day. I mean, he gave me a blurb for my book, which was, you know, that's my childhood dream. It's happening, you know? Yeah, that's really great to hear. And uh, also, uh, obviously, a part that I loved about your book, well, so many parts I loved, is you do talk about the importance of the divine feminine. Obviously, in this show, we really dig uh, Hagia Sophia. Uh, Why do you feel the divine feminine should be more revered? I guess it's the obvious, right? She's been missing for too many many thousands of years. She's been been missing. She's been hurt. She's been persecuted. She's been demonized. Uh, The the level of, of misogyny that we're just conditioned in from the time we come into this earth and in and, and society, and we lose that connection with the receptivity of femininity and the emotionality of femininity and, you know, the nurturing and, and also um, with goddess and, 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 and the mother figure and the matriarchal figure. It's, it's devastating. It, 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 it's, it's heartbreaking how much we lack uh, the, the divine feminine in our, in our culture. And I really hope the, the feminine people of today and, and the hyper-feminine uh, people try to restore that energy and, and fight for that femininity to exist because we have enough masculine energy. We have enough of the father. We have enough 
God energy, you know, we, we've got a lot of it, you know, our whole society is, is full of it, you know, we were, you know, that, that, you know, and, and I say the fe- femininity is alpha in, in the book, because I think the alpha female exists. I mean, Camille Polio would say that women are the dominant sex. Yeah, she ain't whistling Dixie, that's for sure. And uh, you also mentioned in your book and in this interview that you are Illuminati. Could you explain? Because I don't want suddenly people queuing on on social media saying, hey, this Alex Kazemi, he's really part of the cabal bringing us all down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, when the chapter You Are the Illuminati kind of reveals that there are people in power doing magic. It's a fact. Um, there are a lot of advertising and magical practice and, and PR. I mean, Crowley could be looked at as like the first stuntman and PR showman, you know, of, of our world and, and, and kind of celebrity. I mean, Manson would say Jesus Christ is one of the first celebrities. I mean, I think, um, I think there's so much uh, magic being done on us. Well, let's do the magic back, you know, let's make a response and, and let's, let's be, let's realize we are not separate from our icons. We're not separate from, from people in power. We are those people in power. We can be those people in power and we should aspire for that so that we can make those changes in our world and not complain about it. And I think being in the Illuminati means that you have these, you know, occult values and magical values, whether you feel comfortable enough to share them, but you're practicing magic and you're creating that change and being that change in the world. And I think, you know, uh, You Are the Illuminati is a chapter to deprogram from society and deprogram from conditioning and approval addiction and all of it, you know, or, or figure, figure out who you are without your programming, you know, rake through your mind and take out what doesn't belong to you and give it back to society. Oh, well said. Yeah, the deprogramming. And uh, as you write, uh, they've been, the elite have been using sigil magic on us, symbols. Uh, you know, the old saying, millionaires don't practice astrology, billionaires practice astrology because Hell they know yeah, it works. that's the truth. It's yeah, time for the, the common truth. guy to know the same techniques they've been using on us for thousands of years. <laughs> of course. And, you know, it's so disturbing that, that occult knowledge isn't our birthright to access that we have to rake through society and, 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 mag- and not magic, but rake through to find magic. And, and we're not, you know, taught from kindergarten how to do magical alchemy, how to visualize and just have all of these, you know, occult tools ready for us uh, from, from the get-go, this treasure chest. We have to go out and find it. But yeah, no, you're right. In, in, in advertisement, in music, in pop culture, I mean, pop culture is like a form of mass programming. I mean, I, I fully, I fully believe that. I mean, you're all sitting there focusing on one thing with the intention and energy. I mean, it's so, it's so magical. And I think, you know, that you should, you should want to escape those vortexes, you know, and create your own positive vortexes. Like you said, you've written many books, you know, you know, do that creative thing that you're called to listen to your soul's instincts. You know, maybe you're doing something that is you're conditioned to, to watch Netflix or to watch the MTV music awards. People don't do that anymore, but you know what I mean? Like a, a kind right. of a <laughs> event that the Oscars, lots of people watch the Oscars. So that's a great one. You know, um, I think, you know, don't, don't do things for a sense of belonging because that sense of belonging is always with you in the upper worlds.
Well said indeed, and yes, and uh, as we hear at the end of the interview, and I highly recommend you read Pop Magic, audience, Gordon White likes to criticize millennials and Gen Zs for not reading books. This is a time you need to start reading, and this is a book you should start with, so highly recommend the book, but where can audiences learn more about you, Alex? Well, I have no social media accounts, so... um I I guess you could learn about me through reading my books and and reading starting off with Pop Magic and 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 from this interview you know I think that you know telling the book telling people about the book with friends and you know creating this secret to pass around and and reveal it to people and and you know you can find me in bookstores that's how you can learn more about me. <laughs> Good. More people need to hang out in bookstores, so hopefully you'll be there so they can find you. And you yeah, yeah. Website? We can go to stuff with a book. Yeah. Oh yeah, I do. Oh yeah, oh, of course. Oh my god. Thank you so much. <laughs> Alexkazemi.com and I also have an email which is very um late late nineties. But if you want to write me a letter, if you've heard from if you liked the show or you liked, you know, anything or have any questions, you can email fanmail at alexkazemi.com and um that that's how you could reach to me and and you know write me a letter or something like that that's how you, we could connect awesome well you heard it here and of course as always on the show notes of the podcast i will have links to alex's book and to his website well we are at the end first i'd like to say vance thanks for keeping us company on this magical journey oh no problem miguel enjoyed it and alex uh good luck with the book I'm yes, sure thank you so will. much, Vance. I'm really yeah. appreciative for everything you did today. Yes, okay. Alex. Thank you very much for coming on AM Bignostic Radio, or Wadio as I call it, and good yeah. luck with the book. Highly recommended. It. it took me an evening to uh, read it, and it's very actionable, very approachable, and good stuff. And I'm glad uh, I'm glad it got written, and hopefully will inspire uh, the youth today, which needs as much inspiration as possible. So thank you very much, Alex. Thank you so much, and I hope you have a great night. And there you have it, my beloved truth seekers. Our electric interview with Alex Kazemi on his electric book, Pop Magic. As I said, and you probably believe by now, youth may be wasted on the young, but not magic. And I also mentioned that as a bonus, since we could only do this hour as I had health and child commitments, we'll do a trimorphic paranoia. We were joined by my friend and often co-host Nate Miller, a.k.a. a cult fan, who provided commentary. And like Alex, he shared what it is to be doing magic like a millennial Simon Magus in the 21st century without selling out to Yaldabaoth. Miss it not, and please become a member of Patreon at Patreon for all this inspirational heresy. It really helps grow this red pill cafeteria. Only $6.99 a lunar cycle. You won't find this Gnostic content anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. Damning your soul has never been this cheap, but you'll get your spirit back. Membership 
or being a Patreon includes full access to the Archive with more than 13 years of high-quality interviews and full episodes of my vlog, The Abraxas Brief. You'll also get an invitation to the Inner Sanctum of Gnosis Facebook group and the Discord channel. Even support in the form of some shekels to PayPal or the U.S. mail really, really helps. I also have an Amazon wish list. Don't forget me books like Voices of Gnosticism or Other Voices of Gnosticism. I can't do it without you, and the show has grown to the point advertisers want to appear. But they're rejected as I only work for you and only you. You can do so many wonders. I just know it. I just know it. And you're so full of magic and innocence. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself. Your true magical self. Hello and goodbye as always. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 